viewpoints expressed on Night Fright are not necessarily those of the host, the staff, the sponsors, or the affiliate stations. Tonight's program may contain graphic themes or images. Viewer discretion is advised. Showtime! Welcome to the show. I'm Brent Holland. Welcome, one and all, to Night Fright. Tonight, folks... One of my most favorite authors in the whole world returns, Paul Rowland, all the way from Hawkesbury, Ontario, which is just south of Ottawa, if you're looking for it on the map. from Ottawa. Tonight we're talking about a new book he's written called Nazis and the Occult. Now, folks, anybody that is a fan of this show knows the way I feel about Nazis. I hate these guys, <laughs> to quote Indiana Jones. Now, seriously, never before had the world seen a so-called cultured and industrialization, a nation that gave us Beethoven, Bach, and yes, even Albert Einstein. The extermination camps they set up were methodical. German companies actually bid on supplying the furnaces, knowing full well what they were to be used for. At the end of the war, folks, to expedite the Holocaust of the Jews, children were thrown into them alive. Now, how did this country become so successful rolling over country after country. Their momentum was unprecedented in the history of warfare. They could virtually do ever to whomever they wanted and could not be stopped. Certainly mere mortal men could not be that bold and triumphant. What lay at the core of their strength and power. We know that Hitler and his henchmen had sent out teams of archaeologists to find sacred relics in order to their power. Did they also delve into practicing the dark arts? Did they virtually open the gates of hell and unleash evil upon the world? Did they virtually make a deal with the devil? Tonight, our guest Paul Rowland, author of the new book, He's in the Occult, The Dark Forces Unleashed by the Reich. We will look at those dark evils. Don't go anywhere, folks. It's going to be explosive. Strap in and hang on. Here we go. Welcome, welcome, one and all. I'm Brent Holland. Tonight, right, folks. Once again, Paul Rowland's joining us, and anybody that has watched a series of these shows we've done with Paul will know that his research is meticulous, his writing second to none. The book we're looking at tonight is called Nazis and the Occult. It's a very serious look tonight, folks. 
at how the Nazis were able to utilize their powers to fooling the people, the basic people of Germany, and I would argue most around the world as well, were out for the good of Germany, all the while creating the most heinous crimes against humanity that we've ever seen. I want to welcome Paul back from Hawkesbury. Paul, thank you for this book, by the way. Um, oh, you're welcome. It's terrific. It's something, I, I, it's something I felt I had to do. It's something that I had to examine without the sensationalism that's usually attached to that subject. And I come from um, a spiritual background, psychic background, where I've followed certain traditions, and I think I've uncovered uh, a far more disturbing aspect to this story than the conventional were they or were they not ever worshippers. I agree. Heartedly, and folks, um, if you look in the archives, Paul and I have done a show together where he's done the same thing. He's taken these myths about Jack the Ripper, that previous show, and just exploded them, blown them apart. And at the end of the book of Jack the Ripper, he offers his own calculated view of the actual murders that took place and also a brand new murder suspect. And again, for Book in that book, www.nightfrightshow.com. Just click on that guest book cover, tonight's guest book cover, and that'll take you right to a spot where you can order both books online. I urge you all to do that. Let's get going on these Nazis. The Spear of Destiny. Um, can you describe what that was and what Hitler's fascination was with that and his obsession? Well, we know for a fact that he was obsessed with it. This all comes from by Trevor Ravenscroft, which was published in the 70s, called The Spear of Destiny. And my research suggests that Ravenscroft wrote it as a novel in the same style as um, the, um, what was it, the, the Christian thing, uh, the Da Vinci Code. Da Vinci Code. And these yes. kind of books, yeah. And the publisher, or perhaps his agent, we don't know, uh, allegedly um, persuaded him to put it out as a book of fact, a non-fiction book, because it would sell better, and it did. Um, we don't know what Ravenscroft's reaction to that was. Obviously, it made him a very famous and wealthy man, we assume, but his is a work of fiction. He's taken historical characters. He's cleverly and imaginatively tied in a lot of uh, historical fact, and he's come up with this very entertaining fairy tale. Mm. Uh, and I make no bones about this in the book and I feel I, I can't honestly understand how some people have taken it at face value um, not only Ravenscross Ravenscross book but um, in my book it's, I know I'm quite subtle with my system and my sardonic um, style but I can't imagine people would not um, read between the lines and where I'm having a bit of fun with this. I mean, it's an extremely uh, serious subject, but this particular aspect of it um, is is pure fantasy and is added to the myth. And I think it goes along with those people who believe in the black sun and the Nazi UFOs and all this kind of thing. And I think we have to keep our feet on the ground because um, while there is this Raiders of the Lost Ark um, theme and element, ingredients if you like, and they did um, pursue uh, artifacts, ancient relics, um, some of them very seriously, hope that it would 
and, and of course some very crackpot theories like the world ice theory, the hollow earth theory, in the serious hope we might um, be able to uh, detect um, allied shipping by um, esoteric pendulums and all this sort of thing, even though there was that element, the main um, thrust of the of the history is not fantasy, it was the brutalization and enslavement of uh, half of the world by these thugs, crackpots and criminals. And um, what's more evil about them really is that they persuaded and they allowed other people who were not Nazis, like the Ukrainians for example, to take it out, their prejudices out on their neighbors. Um, so a lot of brutality was committed, not not by, by the Nazis, but under their um, under their flag, under their, you know, their endorsement. Yes, yeah. yes, with their with their with their with their condoned this brutality, and that makes them even more evil. Um, as to them um, pursuing the the spear of destiny, which incidentally was, of course, the the spear that a Roman centurion pierced the side of. Jesus with on at the crucifixion, um, and it had his blood on it, and therefore was considered um, a sacred object. That's, that's the other ridiculous thing about this. Why would a sacred Christian relic fascinate Nazis, who were very outspoken in their criticism and denouncement of Christianity, and wanted to replace the Christian cross with the swastika, the Bible with Mein Kampf? At, um, even that the the Christian priests spoke out in public, a great risk to themselves, certain, certain members of their of the clergy, um, because they saw that this was an unchristian, neo-pagan, pseudo-pagan. Uh, it gives um, a bad light to pagans, actually, of course, who believed in nature worship. So That's right. the the Nazis were a religion in themselves. Uh, Let's talk about diabolical that. religion. Absolutely. I want to talk about that, how the Nazis wanted to bring in virtually their own Nazi religion and um, just get extricate completely the Christian religion and other religions as well, make this a world-domineering religion. And I'm going to talk more about that because I have a quote here I want to read as well. Folks, we're talking with uh, Paul Rowland. Uh, the book is called Nazis and the Occult. The Dark Forces Unleashed by the Third Reich. Easy way to get the book, folks, is always www.nightfrightshow.com. Click on tonight's guest book cover. Get right to a spot for the book from the comfort of your own armchair. Uh, incredibly meticulously researched and written. As always, with any Roland book you're going to get, it is always that way. And uh, he busts down myths and not sensationalized, and takes the noise out of this subject so you can look at it squarely, like he did in our previous show with Jack the Ripper, which is also in the archives. Okay, they started to try and bring in their own religion. Now, this was chilling when I read this. Now, I just want to read a quote from the book, folks. Um, and, uh, okay, it is alleged one night in nine. 1933, Hitler announced his intention to tear up Christianity, root and branch. He declared, and this is Hitler allegedly speaking, we prevent the churches from doing anything but what they are doing now. That is, losing ground day by day. Do you really believe the masses will ever be nonsense? Never again. That story is finished. No one will 
into it again, but we can hasten matters. The Parsons will be made to dig their own graves. They will betray their God to us. Now, this is another quote on this same subject by a fellow by the name of Alfred Rosenberg, which he is supposed to have said, On the day of its foundation, the Christian cross must be removed from all churches, cathedrals, and chapels, and it must be superseded, and only unconquerable system, the swastika. That's chilling. I had no idea until I read your book, kudos, that they were actually trying to their own religion. Can we speak to that, Paul? Yes, I think that's um, what a lot of people forget or um, are happy to ignore the fact that um, not only it wasn't a crime against Jews, but it was also a crime against gypsies, homosexuals, the disabled. That's right. They, they exterminated Ten little minutes. children, their own German children, if they were in any way mentally or disabled, physically defective, as they would have seen it. They they secretly, they didn't even tell the parents what they were going to, to do. They s simply murdered them. Um, I mean, the cruelty and the, um, the horror of this is, well, unprecedented. And, of course, in, done in a, in a modern, civilized society. We're not talking about the barbarian hordes of Genghis Khan or something, you know. Uh, these were people educated and who should have known better, working within a society yeah. that was educated, had newspapers, had radio, for goodness sake. A democracy. Had, well, in the beginning. Well, yeah. well, it was at the beginning. Yeah. And suffered a world war and everything. So uh, this is actually the, the, the core of the whole thing. Um, how Hitler and his gang manipulated the masses, how they led them along, how they persuaded them, how they anesthetized them drip by drip with their propaganda and so on. And so whatever you may say against organized, institutionalized religion, and it, may, it has its faults, we don't doubt, um, it, I see no reason to, uh, you know, give, give any um, any credence to the, to the Nazis for wanting to, to destroy religion. Let religion, if it's flawed, uh, disintegrate, disappear by its own you know, naturally, uh, if people do not require it anymore, but to um, supersede it forcibly, uh, supplant it with uh, not pagan. As I say, there's nothing wrong with paganism. Paganism is a, is a nature, but supplant it with the the culture of brutality. Of the thing the Nazis did was that they they perverted everything they touched, science and everything, and of course drove all the intellectuals out of Germany because they saw this, it wasn't just the Jews, and the intellectuals didn't want anything to do with this. Um, but they, um, they uh, the basis instincts, the prejudices of the nation, they drew on and exploited archetypes uh, in the German psyche, um, so that they knew that you couldn't just say, oh, he's a Jew, um, so we mm -hmm. don't want him. They would they would paint him as a dwarf, or uh, you know, go to these these volkish uh, fairy tales um, that was in the national psyche. You see, that's what was so nasty, insidious, and cynical about the Nazis. Exploited the nation's prejudices, which they'd grown up with since childhood, and said, "Look at these Jews. These are the rats that carry the plague in the Black Death. These are um, the the dwarfs that live underground." That's 
um, German maidenhood. So they would, the crude propaganda is un unbelievable, but people swallowed it. Yeah, that's, and of course, they, this, this is what mind boggles me. You know, I guess I'm thinking from 2013 as opposed to 1933. All later and I, I guess the psyche like you said was completely different in those days living in Canada as we do we are taught to challenge authority if you will and question everything in those days maybe it was more of a, a sheep a sheeple uh, type of affair and Hitler offered answers at a time when there were a lot of questions I you know this thing just mind boggles me how a whole nation as you for people that brought us Beethoven, for gosh sakes, and I would argue uh, even got us to the moon with von Braun, um, can do something so evil, so diabolical. Uh, folks, the book is called Nazis in the Occult. Our guest tonight, Paul Roland. We're talking about all the evils, all the dastardly deeds that the Nazis did, uh, but with a difference. Paul is breaking down a lot of the myths that have uh, surrounded this subject for a long time, and offering some clear-headed, as always with any Paul Rowland book, clear-headed, straightforward and uh, kudos once again. www.nightfrightshow.com. Click on this uh, book. That'll take you right to a spot where you can order the book from the company home. And also look in the archives. Great show we did together, Jack the River, with the same type of uh, perspective. What he does is he goes in and he looks at the evidence meticulously with his own solution and bust down those myths and very level-headed very grounded as he said before it's one of the reasons why I like Paul as a writer okay can we give a little bit of an overview about Hitler's henchmen you know just give a little bit of a synopsis about Goebbels uh, a lot of folks listening right now won't recognize these that's why they'll recognize Hitler Goebbels and Goering uh, could we just touch on those three very quick well, Himmler was a chicken farmer, and um, uh, he was the chauffeur of uh, Goering, if I remember rightly. Um, so he, they were all a gang of petty bureaucrats, um, and you, obviously on the fringes you had um, you had you know uh, Jew-baiters, hmm. um, uh, sexual perverts, uh, the brown-shirted bullies, the louts. Um, but you also had people who persuaded themselves that there was um, greater good of Germany at uh, March here the, uh, at stake, and that Hitler was the Messiah of the Germans. Remember what you just said. Actually, what we forget is that it was just that he, Hitler, appealed to the mass um, and a sense of pride, wounded pride after the First World War and the inf unfairness of the reparations that were upon them by the Allies. Also, a, a, a very basic question of um, bread and and work. At that time, the Great Depression, um, to be promised that you would uh, get a square meal every day and that you would gainfully employed, you know, the autobahns or whatever, public works, that was um, a, a great promise and you would follow or vote for and support that party uh, until they proved themselves um, distasteful to your uh, sensibilities. You know, because in those days um, it was a violent time. There were the wars with the, uh, the in the streets with the communists. So it was one one 
devil against the other one. You know, and the communists at that time were perceived by many people in Germany as being the greater danger. Um, they also believed, the politicians uh, in Germany believed that they could control Hitler once he was in power, once he was Hitler, they would be able to control him. They hadn't reckoned on his deviousness, uh, for example, burning down the Reichstag to gain power by blaming um, the communists. You know, once you have a building on fire, you can point your finger at anybody you don't want. Reichstag if you fire. shout it loud enough, as Goebbels used to say, the propaganda minister, uh, if you say an untruth, uh, tell a lie long enough and loud enough, people would start They had all these very basic um, exploitative um, strategies that worked in those days. These days I think people would see through it more. We're not so easily fooled, I'd like to think. But in those days you promise people bread and work, you tell them the communists are a great danger, you tell them the Jews are going to steal your daughters and God knows what else, and that they run the financial institutions of the world is a great conspiracy. Uh, the Germany did, did, stabbed in the back, it was the great famous phrase at the time in the First World War, we were betrayed at home, we could have had all these myths and people who are, feel aggrieved, uh, probably trenches and lost their homes and so on, had their land taken by the Allies. Remember part of Germany, the Sudetenland and uh, mm. other parts were annexed, they were taken by the Allies, the Rhineland, occupied by the French. Um, so the, the Germans had a grievance, maybe a justified grievance. Unfortunately, the man who exploited that grievance was an unscrupulous um, demagogue. And uh, to go back to your question, um, you had Goering. You see, they weren't all um, as obviously um, corrupt and um, brutalized as the little Bavarian corporal. You had people who were sly and at manipulating. Uh, the masses and uh, presenting themselves as reasonable men. Oh, I'm just a businessman, as Al Capone used to say. It's the same thing. They were they were gangsters. Yeah. They were gangsters. You had people like Alfred Rosenberg that you um, quoted from earlier, who was their laugh. We'll call it, well, I, I have to suppress a laugh at this. Their philosopher, a Nazi philosopher, which is a contradictory term. If ever there was one, but these people intellectualized and rationalized their acts, and they with spurious theories to um, support their crazy ideas. For example, the idea that uh, the Volkish, what we call the Volkish um, philosophers, who uh, who sort of uh, brought forth the the roots of the Nazi philosophy uh, prior to the First World War, we had uh, Linz, uh, Liebenfels, these von Liszt, Liebenfels, these sort of people, the Volkish uh, philosophers. They they imagined a great race of Aryan giants who were um, the superior master race, this is where it all comes from, and they fought the ape-like men, the simians, the untermensch, the under sub What amazes me is Hitler's going after all these artifacts, really not believing in their power, quote-unquote, but more or less just as a mythological, mythological reference, if you will, to show, look, we have all these things on our side. God is on our side. Destiny is on our side. Would that be a correct way of putting what was going on? Yeah, that, that's a very good way put, uh, of expressing that. Um, because we don't know whether Hitler really um, pursued these relics um, to just to appease Hitler, who was uh, obsessed with astrology. He had his own personal astrologer. 
um, known as Himmler's Rasputin, and um, he was very much into the occult. He built the Vivelsberg Castle, renovated it as a sort of Camelot yes. for SS officers um, who would sit in a circle, unbelievable though it seems, and meditate to um, send their vibes to a general next door who was being interrogated. They wanted to get the truth out of him, that sort of thing. That was witnessed, that particular scene. It was supposed to be a sanctuary for uh, the the ashes of fallen heroes um, and they would be interred in a vault underneath uh, in a sort of a, a medieval uh, trophy room if you like um, so there was this this um, occult theme in Himmler's mind but I think from my research Hitler indulged it when it suited him he was not a believer in astrology unless it suited his predictions. For example, um, one, on one occasion um, when um, raising a foundation in a, in a new building, the hammer uh, broke when Hitler uh, hit it. And he took that as a bad omen until a few months later the architect died. Then he uh, explained it away as, oh, it was a bad omen for the architect but not for me. So, and Hess, Rudolf Hess, another one of those inner gang, who was um, <laughs> a, a few slices short of a full loaf, as the Scots would say, um, was persuaded um, to fly to England on a, a uh, peace mission because he had been misinformed liberally that, I think it was the Duke of Argyle or Aberdeen, was willing to talk peace to avert war. This was in... Uh, 1940, early 1940, um, and he jumped in a plane and flew by, and Hitler was furious. He'd lost his deputy Führer on this crazy idea uh, that there was going to be, a, they were going to make peace, as if anybody would make peace with the Nazis after what they'd done, because they'd broken promises so many times. Hitler would always say, as every time he snatched a new piece of land, he would say, this is my last territorial claim in Europe. And of course the appeasers understandably did not want to see a second world war after all they'd suffered think well you know okay maybe, maybe this time he means it we'll just give him back the Sudetenland we'll just give him back Danzig we'll just give him back the Rhineland because after all they were German and there are Germans in there even if it wasn't Germany before so they 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 found reasons to rationalize uh, to appease Hitler and to rationalize what they were giving away but even they in the end saw that Hitler was a bully nothing short of a, of a neighborhood bully who was chancellor's arm until somebody stood up to him and said enough is enough and of course by then he couldn't lose face because it so he had to go to war which is what he wanted all along because that personality is uh, stress if you like he lives on stress um, he he doesn't live for peace uh, do you think you Paul know, that do you think Paul that he desired war so much we're talking about Hitler now folks just to coax his ego to embellish his ego to satisfy his ego and more and more and how far can I go how far can I go will I world dominance well it's very hard to to read the mind of a psychopath um he was a he was the the, the irony is uh, one of the things that I talk about in the book is that he was the ultimate untermensch the one he despised so much the subhuman because yes. after all he had no compassion he had no humanity he had no honesty no sincerity 
he didn't love anybody but his dog, and in the end he even poisoned his dog Blondie, you know. And he, he, he married this uh, colourless um, individual, doting individual, um, Eva, Brown. Eva Brown, who he then uh, persuaded to commit suicide with him. Uh, you don't do that with somebody you love. Um, quite apart from that, um, he was... He was he had no intellect. That's why he could not have been a magician in in the sense, the conventional sense. Um, that is one of the core arguments of the book. All this Raiders of the Lost Ark um, it, it stuff is is very entertaining. But can you re seriously imagine Hitler, Himmler, Goering, and the rest of them standing around a, a magic circle in robes, burning incense, conjuring demons? No, but. I've, what they did do, which is something far more dangerous. They unconsciously practiced the real form of magic, which is not conjuring demons and devils from hell because they don't exist. Nobody's seen a demon or a devil unless they're since the Middle Ages or unless they're mentally ill. They did the, the dark side of their own personality and worse of the society that they were responsible for governing, the responsible form governing. They preyed upon and exploited the darkest basis instincts of their own people and that is true evil you may argue about the semantics of evil and um, that it's a word we have created to define um, a type of person but the, these people were evil by their actions they proved themselves to be evil by their actions not by what they said it wasn't the fact they hated Jews that made them evil. It was the fact that they physically tortured people, imprisoned them, enslaved them, starved them to death, worked them to death, and um, killed their own um, without any compunction, without any conscience. Folks, if you're just joining us, we're just at the halfway point. Settle in, relax. We're talking about Nazis and the occult and their desire to obtain all these holy relics, if you will, with the hopes of fooling the people to believing that once they have these holy relics, let's call this um, the cross of Jesus or something, they can hold it up and say, hey, we have the cross of Jesus, we're right, they're wrong, and this is our power. Um, most of them didn't believe this stuff. They were just trying to fool the people to maintain their own and the dastardly deeds they, they did. Our guest tonight, of course, is Paul Rowland, and with all Paul Rowland books, this book will bust down mist and set you straight right on the ground, ground level, folks, and very level-headed, as always. www.nightshow.com. Just click on tonight's guest book cover. That'll take you right to a spot where you can order the book from the comfort of your own home. And I'm going to plug the other show we did with Paul. Uh, fans of this show will know that a few weeks ago, Paul was here talking about Jack the same thing, he bought all those myths, and he even has a new suspect that nobody else has thought of till this point. So again, you can find that in www.nightfrightshow.com website. Paul, you know, I want to read this thing, Nostradamus, and many people, Nostradamus, of course, folks, for you aware, lived in the 1500s, and he wrote what are called quatrains, which are kind of paragraphs written in code, quote-unquote, for future generations to say, okay, look, he could see the future in 1500. One of them has been attributed to Hitler, and it's the most famous one. 
And um, in many senses, you know, you can actually to a lot of these quatrains you want. But here's the one on Hitler. Hunger-maddened beasts will make the streams tremble. Most land will be under hister, H-I-S-T-E-R. And many people that believe in this prophecy say, well, he wanted to really warn the people that this monster was actually going to come to be, but he just misspelled his name a little bit. In a cage of iron, the great one will be dragged when the child of Germany observes nothing. So that's one of the, there's there's several more um, prophetic little things that are also uh, credited to the coming of Hitler and Nazis, if you will. Paul, let's talk a little bit about that and how not only the Nazis, but since the Nazis, um, people latch on to Nostradamus, and I think in a lot of cases, read things into it that aren't there, perhaps, um, but that they perceive as being current to their own surroundings, presence, if you will. Can we talk a little bit about Nostradamus and how that affected the Nazis? Because they, they really got into this and exploited it. Yes, they used um, it for pro propaganda purposes by publishing uh, fake magazines and periodicals after the events had taken place. So they looked for anybody who read them as if they had correctly predicted and then they would put something else in um, that they were going to be victorious in a certain campaign so that the um, enemy would be demoralized and they dropped these periodicals behind enemy lines so they would be read unfortunately um, they were um, discovered uh, by somebody who, who knew that the editor of this period died several years before so I mean pretty crude propaganda but the British did similar things they also used Nostradamus's uh, quatrains or centuries as they're called um, but the interesting thing about Nostradamus is that any prophet any visionary um, is more accurate when they predict or see claim to see events nearer the as the events recede into the future, um, they not only become less likely to be accurate, but they also are less likely to be interpreted by the seer themselves correctly. When they see uh, horseless wagons, as they might call them, or an iron horse, um, they don't know it's a train. They just see this great um, dustbin uh, on wheels down a track. So, and they also don't know the context or the implication and so on. So they might think these things run the world, for example, and that we're all enslaved by machines. So they would put that into the uh, prediction, whereas we know that we have created these things to serve us, etc., etc., and they're making life easier or what have you. Mm -hmm. So the further they go away from their own time, um, the less accurate they are. And, for example, that quote you read about uh, Hister, is just as easy, in fact, more likely to be written or to refer to a river, the river Ister, which um, Nostradamus would know about at the time. Uh, and putting people in an iron cage was a medieval uh, punishment when you dragged them off to, to prison or anything. So, I mean, Hitler was never put in an iron cage and, and so on and so forth. So to read, to, to twist something and say, well, they, they misspelled it. Um, I think it's, it's 
going a, a bit too far. If if he 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 talk about a man with with dark hair and a moustache or something, so that we couldn't mistake it. But to name him and get the name wrong, I think tells you that it's really just um, another very entertaining conspiracy theory. We're trying to make the the evidence fit our theory. Folks, that we're speaking with Paul Rowland tonight, and his book is called Nazis and the Occult, The Dark Force. Unleashed by the Third Reich. Uh, easy way to get it is always www.nightfrightshow.com. Paul, um, we had touched on Hess before, and Rudolf Hess, folks, as Paul has told us, was uh, the, if you will, the vice president of Germany, right under Hitler. He would be considered the. I'm just trying to draw an analogy. He took off, as he said, flew to England on a perceived peace mission. Um, the English put out a desire for peace. So they suckered him in over to, to, to England. And when he got there, now this is what struck me as very strange, and I had known this before, but I want to talk to an expert on this. A fellow by the name of Alistair Crowley was brought in to interrogate him. Now, what I'd like you to do is set up Alistair Crowley and why you think he was brought in. Okay, well, Alistair Crowley was a, a notorious black magician as he the, the the wickedest man in the world as he self you know self titled self titled uh, uh, megalomaniac he was an occultist um who was certainly an able adept but and he was a practicing magician in the truest sense unlike hitler and the rest of them um but also um a, a man a very self-centered self-promotion uh, fiend, and so he wiggled himself into this uh, investigation by uh, by claiming that when Hess talking gobbledygook, it must be an esoteric language. Therefore, I'm the only man in England who can interpret what he's trying to say. The Hess was probably just, <laughs> um, you know, yeah, deranged. let's say yeah. deranged. Well, he was certainly um, an oddball. He mm. was an oddball. Uh, even his teachers described him as an oddball. I think I quote that in the book. Yes, and he right. used to sprinkle, sprinkle earth from the um, the different um, counties and, and cities under his baby's cradle to sanctify it. You know, I mean, position's fine. It doesn't mean you're an oddball, really. But, okay, um, I'm sorry for doing that then. But, but you know... <laughs> but, uh, I, I, what I'm saying is we can't yeah. condemn him for that. He did far worse. But fortunately, yeah. um, he did um, believe in astrology to an extreme. Um, and he took this flight and uh, was imprisoned and when he was uh, questioned by um, if I remember rightly it was Ian Fleming a creator of James Bond who actually initially quizzed him and when he could understand what Hess was rambling on about um, he considered bringing in Crowley because uh, Fleming Crowley and actually wanted to use him as a villain in one of his books as a, a model for a uh, called him um, the cipher I remember I didn't call him Crowley in the book um, but if I remember rightly to the um, that be uh, were very suspicious of Crowley's motives mm. to self-publicity and they didn't trust him they didn't like him he had a terrible reputation as I say in, in the tabloids as the wickedest man in the world and it wouldn't do British um, credibility any good to be seen having a man like that um, in you know, in the newsreels, talking to this captured uh, deputy Führer, as he was, which was a great coup for the for the British, and um, they had um, looked over 
on this pretext, and that was a great um, a great uh, trophy for them. So they certainly didn't want to taint it by bringing in this this uh, you know suspicious larger than life character and letting him take over the investigation. There is a quote. Uh, again, it's a to be given by Aleister Crowley, folks. And many people thought that Aleister Crowley was a devil worshipper. Actually, um, Ozzy Osbourne has a song called Mr. Crowley. And if you want to just go listen to that song. Now, this apparently was given, uh, this quote that I'm about to read was given by Aleister Crowley about Hitler. And it goes, it began to dawn upon me, this is Crowley talking, how much of Hitler's thoughts were as if they had been taken from the law of Thelma, and that's where I'm going to go with this right afterwards, I became his fervent admirer, and am so now, and will be to my end. I have ever so often owned to this firm conviction that the close identity of Hitler's eyes with what the book teaches endowed me with the strength necessary for my work. I stayed even to the Gestapo years ago. Now that's allegedly given to Aleister Crowley. Two questions. Is there credibility to this quote? And the other question is, could you describe the laws of Thelma for those folks that aren't, aren't aware of it? Okay, well, um, it's highly unlikely that Crowley uh, that, that, that uttered those, those words. Um, they were attributable to a fictional biography um, of speculative um, there was also other conversations in which Crowley allegedly spoke to George Orwell in Berlin in 1938, claiming that Crowley had taken uh, Hitler had taken uh, mescaline and was a drug addict. Now he did, did become a drug addict at the end of the war, um, when his quack doctor prescribed all these painkillers and basically made him an old man long before his time. But that's another issue. Um, but other people knew Crowley and Orwell dispute that this meeting took place, that it took place 10 years earlier, 19, or 8 years earlier, 1930, and consequently there's no, there's no re reason to believe that that conversation took place. Mm. Crowley was also a great man for making um, provocative statements, uh, just for the fun of it, like a, like a naughty, mischievous boy, you know, a child. Which is really what he was. Somebody described him as a little, rusty little boy who never grew up, um, and so he would, yeah. So he would actually make such statements. I could believe that he would make such a simply to provoke people and make them go, oh, "How could you say such a thing?" Because that was his um, nature, and that's the way tension. He loved sensationalism, um, the same that Hitler oh, loved. It. Well, exactly. Loved, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, um, but the laws of Thelma. Um, to make it very concise, to do what thou wilt. That's the essence of it, which he borrowed from Rabelais. It was, the idea was that you should not be constrained by petty laws. Um, a man should be, a person should be able to um, experience everything in life and decide for themselves what had value and so on. And that works for a person who's psychologically sound, but give that sort of advice to a teenager or a person with um, low self-esteem, self, self well, self-discipline certainly, Some, and they take it as, as an in, as, um, 
the permission to do whatever you would like, regardless of the consequences. Now, Rabelais, when he made that statement, he didn't mean do what you w whatever you like, regardless of the consequences. He meant within um, societies uh, and within the moral laws of man, mm -hmm. um, enjoy live life to the full. Which is quite a different thing from Crowley's diabolical um, kill somebody if you feel like it because yeah. you know you're the superior man and nobody else deserves to live. Now that's that's going along with this Nietzschean philosophy and Nietzsche himself was not an anti-Semite actually he was in the book I say he he's quoted as saying you know I, I abhor that it makes me sick to think of that but unfortunately his his ideas were seized upon by the Nazis uh, who postulated this uh, idea of the superior master race what and I liked about your right to do sorry, sorry their right to do whatever they like to inferior race. but of course the the um, the point of the that the 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 Volkish uh, philosophers that Nazism had had um, looked back to and, and taken inspiration from was a misconception of the law of as above so below. Now that's an esoteric universal law, which basically is trying to say that the divine world is manifest in our world, mm -hmm. and that the divine attributes are manifest in everybody regardless of whether they express them manif um, or, or can um, develop them. In s everybody is, has the divine essence. Everybody has the right quality of life, the right to live, and so on. Some may be less educated than others, but that's a different thing. Some may be um, less considerate than others, and all these other things. But basically, we all have the divine spark. And the Nazis willfully, and their Volkish... Um, predecessors who are important in this story, von Liebenspells and uh, these other <laughs> weird, wacky characters, they deliberately and willfully misunderstood it and thinking that as above, so below means there is a hierarchy of human beings. And the Nazis, the Aryans, who descended from this Atlantean race of giants were the superior people and everybody was inferior, the ape-like people who should be who should be enslaved. And made to work for their superior masters. Now that's that is Nazism, the Nazi philosophy in quotes, at its worst and at its most cynical. And that people who who are apologists for Nazis these days, and I'm afraid there are a lot of them, mm. ignore this, deliberately ignore this, or are ignorant of this. Now th this is a very important point that everybody has the divine spark within them and deserves the respect of everybody else in the world unless they do something criminal obviously in which case they have to be punished or locked away but you do not uh, have a race of superior people you have a race of people who are fortunate to be educated more than somebody else or enlightened or however you want to put it developed in other ways but um, the Nazis saw it as an indictment of their, of their perverted philosophy which was that there was a, a superior race descended from these mythical, they weren't even real, mythical Aryans who never existed, and Atlantis, which may or may not, but probably exist. And so the whole ideology was false, corrupt, and unsteady. I mean, in the end, they had to fail. They were fated to fail. Nazism was fated to fail. Once the Allies stood up and said, 
they're evil and we're good or not, it doesn't matter. Yes, we've got as many dubious characters and self-centered people and criminals in America or England as anywhere else. We know what people are. People are you know, basically the same the world over. But en masse, we are the good guys, and we're not trying to conquer anybody. We're just trying to defend our right to live in peace. And you're murdering people who are defenseless, and you're enslaving them, and you're corrupting others around them to do terrible things they wouldn't otherwise have done, because you're saying it's all right to do these things. And that's where you get this concept of good and evil. Um, it was not good and evil in the sense of angels against demons. This is, um, this is mythological, this is biblical uh, terminology. And people used this at the time to stir up emotions to get good people on their side, and fair enough. But when you come to look at it, it was men against men. That's right. And what do they say? That it only takes uh, good people to, to uh, not for evil to... Um, I was going to say, this. Brian, um, Burke's uh, quote, uh, the thing that makes... Oh, gee whiz, I'm going to bastardize this to hell. Um, the only thing that is required to make evil exist is for good men to do nothing. Yes, quite. Paraphrased it, but that's the idea, folks. And you've got to do something when you see something wrong. Stand up and do something. Um, so I th I'll, just, I'll just say please. one thing. I think, I think it's, it's a very dangerous thing for people today, so far removed from those times, to buy into the pro propaganda of neo-Nazis and the Nazis themselves that Hitler was a misunderstood strategic and political... Uh, genius. He was not. He was an untermension. As I say, that's the irony. The superior people were the victims who kept their humanity when they were um, so deprived of the basics of life, herded like cattle, and forced to witness uh, unbelievable acts, which I couldn't even put in the book. You, you alluded to one of them. Um, and I think people who see Raiders of the Lost Ark and all the other um, Iron Sky and all these, where Nazis are b either buffoons, portrayed as buffoons, or as these um, black-shirted villains, uh, these two-dimensional characters. They have no understanding. This is not what they were. Maybe there were some good people in Germany. I don't know. There was the White Rose Society but and very small resistance pockets. Uh, let's not condemn all the Germans as, as, as Nazis. That's... That's um, very bad too, um, but the the Nazis were evil. If any, if that word could ever be used in a justified way, what they did was, and that's why they were great. fated to fail. Unfortunately, evil can cause great trouble in the world for a considerable amount of time, which well, is why we cannot I just ignore it. I see it this way, Paul. I see. The, the dichotomy, there's there's essentially an energy of good, there's an essential energy of evil. They're both in balance together. The human free will, if you will, has a choice to go into one or into the other. The Nazis went into the evil one, if you will. Uh, and I fear that it is ever-present, has been ever-present. We look at Rwanda, we look at uh, what's happening in Syria right now, folks, and around the globe. And the Taliban, what they do to women and anybody who doesn't believe in their dogma, uh, it's terrifying the capabilities of what one human being can do to another. 
and to entice other people to do the same thing. And that is what is essential and what is the foundation of this book. It breaks down the myths. Literary giant with it. Folks, he is a true deep thinker. He looks at things level-headed and right from the ground roots up. Breaks down all the myths as he did with our previous show, Jack the Ripper. The book is Nazis in the Occult, the Dark Forces Unleashed by the Third Reich. Our, uh, our guest tonight from Hawkesbury, uh, Canada, just right below, a few miles outside Ottawa. Um, Paul Rowland, www.nightfrightshow.com. Just click on the book cover. It'll take you right to a spot where you can order the books for the comfort of your own home. We've got to wrap up. We've only got a minute left. Are we doomed, Paul, do you feel, to repeat history? No, but I think actually the, the examples you've given, Rwanda and so on, and Syria even, are not the same. We're not seeing the same um, uh, forces in action. Um, we're seeing simply violence. We're seeing um, a regime that is afraid to relinquish power. The Nazis are a completely different animal, a completely different beast. But as I say, that the point of the book really, and the thing that I want to uh, bring to people's attention, is the real demons are inside us, as you said, are within all of us. And we have to resist the temptation to give in to our baser instincts, um, our primitive side, our prejudice, rise above it and manifest our divine part, our humanity. Um, that's the only hope for the world. But, um, you know, the first thing we have to do is, is call a spade a spade and realize what these people were and what they did and not see them in terms um, uh, you know uh, some misunderstood uh, people who happened to lose the war through blood it's quite and I, I, I do despair when I hear you know some of the the people who are trying to make a actual argument uh, trying to justify um, by being you know, going into semantics. Oh, but evil is not a real con concept. It, it's a man-made thing, and all this nonsense. You know, um, let's let's say what these people did uh, did define them. They were defined by their actions, and not it's not a propaganda thing on the side of the the winners or the Jews or anybody mm -hmm. else. Mm -hmm. It's they did these things, and they were on trial, and they uh, for their deeds, and they confessed to them, and they foolishly kept all the documents. The documents documented everything they did, they filmed mass executions right. and everything, and thank goodness the witnesses were alive afterwards to testify and say, he did this to me and to my family, and and uh, I think, uh, well, I've always thought that everybody understood that, fortunately, um, perhaps they don't, and it's time that people face the facts. Yeah. Yeah. And as I said, outset um, just when I called you just before we started recording this show I fear it is all happening again the Holocaust I see turmoil again in Europe I see the rise of the Nazi ideology especially in Greece um, and uh, that whole thing blame the Jews again and it terrifies me I'll tell you why folks too because right here in Canada on a campus near you apartheid week and uh, I had attended an Israel Apartheid Week conference twice. Uh, the first time I attended, I was accosted. I was beat up uh, for having an opposing view on a Canadian campus. And I was very polite. I didn't call out. I had my hand up and everything. The second time, 
I went, um, I was ridiculed, uh, racial slurs were, were hailed at me, and uh, it's happening again in the guise of, let's pick on the Jews, let's call them Zionists this time, let's say that they have no right at all to be in Israel and that way delegitimize Israel. Already we're seeing archaeologists come out and say that no, uh, King Solomon's temple was never there. It was always um, the temple on the mount. So we have a big problem now and uh, God forbid it should ever happen. That's why I do a lot of shows on Nazis. And as I said at the outset, I hate these bastards. I'm Brent Holland from Night Fright. Thank you all for joining and thank you, Paul, once again. See you next time. witness accounts order yours right now nightfrightshow.com